Yeah, I, I, I know I'm, I'm the one that's up preaching, so it's kind of not fair, but I have re- I've really enjoyed studying, I should say, the book of Jonah. Like, it's so, so fascinating because you think about like a book like this, and so often, I mean, I know most of us, or certainly me, I don't want to speak for you, have just kind of treated this like, uh, that's the kid's story, you know, that's the kid's department of the Bible, and there's nothing really for us adults. It's about, you know, all this, this weird kid stuff, and you, if you are old enough, you saw flannel graph versions of the book of Jonah, right? Or maybe you saw the Veggie Tales. you know, that's the next generation, you know, I don't know what'll be next, but it was just, it's a kid's story. There's a few Bible, stories in the Bible, they're just kid's stories, and uh, you, you tend to dismiss uh, what they have for us because they're like, eh, you know, it's for kids. Um, I, I showed you a few of these books, uh, book covers a few weeks ago, but I've got a, a, a few book covers that I wanted to show you about Jonah, um, and the, in the next slide, if you have it up there, they're working on it. Um, but what this is, and this is funny because you just do like a quick Amazon, uh, Amazon search, and it's not, it's not necessarily that this is something anybody's tried to do. It's just, just what's there. It's just what, you, what we have. So you start off over here, and these are like the top ten books on Amazon for the book of Jonah for kids, right, for kids' stories. There's no, I don't know if there's even any adults. But you notice you have Jonah and the big fish, and then evidently the next author had to outdo them and was like Jonah and the very big fish. And then the next author was like, let's just focus on the fish and we'll make Jonah the sub-character. The giant fish and Jonah, a Bible story from a unique perspective. And this one is from the perspective of the fish. That's kind of interesting, I thought, as well. But it, it, the story has been mediated to us through children's literature. And we just kind of miss the sophistication and the depth and the adult-level themes out of the book of Jonah. And it's, and it's, it's too bad. In fact... Uh, what Jonah does is so sneaky because he doesn't like get in your face and, you know, shake his finger at you. He sneaks up on you and then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, wow, okay, he's really teaching me some lessons and I didn't even know, I didn't see it coming. I got blindsided by what he was talking about. Um, in fact, most stories or most kids' stories of the book of Jonah don't even mention the last chapter that we're going to be exploring today. They don't even bring it up. It ends with, uh, with Jonah getting spit out by the whale, and that's it. It's just nothing else. So if you haven't been with us, don't worry. We'll get you caught up real quickly. Uh, the first chapter was all about Jonah disagreeing with God. Remember, it was important that he ran, because you can disobey from your couch in your living room. It wasn't just that Jonah disobeyed. It was that he ran from God because he disagreed with God. He didn't agree with what God was asking him to do. And I think if we're fair, if we're honest, more often than not, we... No, I shouldn't say more often than not. It's too much. Often, we disagree with God. Now, we don't realize it because we assume we interpret the Bible in a way that makes it sound like God agrees with us, but he doesn't. And we have to find ourselves sometimes wrestling with what God has asked us to do and how do we react. And then, of course, in chapter 2, that's, the, uh, that's where you see the two verses or the two sentences in Hebrew about the, the fish, the big fish, and he gets thrown overboard, and then God rescues him through this, like, this crazy, unbelievable story about a fish, and he writes a poem from inside the fish, according to the story of Jonah. He writes a poem to God from inside the fish about how God had shown him mercy and God had rescued him from the depths and how God had saved his life. And so Jonah got, he got God's mercy for himself, but he still had some important lessons to learn. And as we'll see in chapter 4, it doesn't seem like he, he learned them. And then in chapter 3, we realize that God is interested in repentance. 
He's not, he's not worried about perfection. He knows you're not going to be perfect. But he is interested in a heart of repentance. And he, we see that through the Ninevites who were just like this, this quick sermon. Jonah preached and they all repented. But God had been sending prophets for hundreds of years to the people of God, to the Hebrew people. And they were just hard-hearted. They just didn't get it. And Jonah's showing us this amazing contrast between the two. All right. All that brings us to part Four, and I've told you this a bunch of times, but when they divided up the Bible into books and chapters, this wasn't like from on high that God said, I shall declare this verse shall be chapter two, this verse shall be chapter three. Somebody came along in history and divided it up, and I think they did a poor job in a number of places. But who am I to decide that, right? I'm just some guy. But in my opinion, they did a poor job, and it's particularly evident in the book of Jonah that it was kind of divided up in ways that aren't very helpful. So, I think we should start in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10. Now, this is Jonah. He's preached. Nineveh was like, oh, man, that was the best sermon we've ever heard. We're all coming forward. It's all awesome. We're all going to repent. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. All right. Whew. Now, if the book of Jonah ended right here, bam, end chapter 3, it's all done, it's all over, Jonah would be like a happy Hollywood ending. It would be perfect. It all wraps up in a nice, neat, tidy bow. Everybody comes back to Jesus, and they all sing Kumbaya, and they all fade off into the sunset, roll credits. It's awesome. It would be wonderful. But Jonah has a point to make. The author of Jonah has a point to make. And there's a, a whole other chapter that he's got to get to to make this point. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Verse one. This, is, this is kind of unbelievable. But to Jonah, this, what's this? The repentance of the people of Nineveh. This seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Wait a second here. Now, again, like if you're just reading the story and you're like, what are you talking about? That's awesome that everybody like came to Jesus. And there was all this wonderful. I know they didn't come to Jesus. I'm just, you know, they, there's all the, they came back to God and they, they repented. This is awesome. Why would Jonah be angry about this? The translators of the Bible struggle with this verse too because the word is not wrong. That's not the word in the text. The word in the text in the he, original Hebrew is evil. Jonah thought this seemed evil. Like evil, like Garden of Eden, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That kind of evil. Jonah thought it was evil that God said, I am not going to destroy these people. He thought it was evil. And you're like, okay, wait, I, Jonah, you lost me. I was, I was all on board. This was a great book. And then all of a sudden, like, there's this, this twist. And, and it, for you grammar nerds, if you're going to look this up in the Hebrew later, it's the adjective form of the word evil, if you want to know that kind of stuff. But it's, it's it, Genesis chapter 6, where, where the, the, the flood occurred. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. Same, same concept, same word, same, same root word. Jonah thought that God's response to their repentance was evil. And I'm like... Oh, man, no wonder this is not in the kids' books. <laughs> this is a head-scratcher. Like, Jonah, what in the world is going on? Now, this might make us uncomfortable, but I'm going to try to prove this premise here a little bit uh, this morning. I think all of us have struggled with God's goodness and His forgiveness and mercy in ways that we don't always realize or like to admit. 
I want to show you something. Look at verse 2. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. At least he takes his problems to God. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I didn't stay at home when you asked me to come preach to Nineveh. This is exactly why. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, which was on the other side of the world from Nineveh. You, have, you can go to Nineveh, you can go to Tarshish. You can't, they're not on the way to anywhere. It's like northern Minnesota. It's not on the way anywhere, I guess except Canada, right? This is what I tried to forestall. And this is what he says. Look at this in verse 3. He goes, I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. You're like, Jonah, what? Dude, what is, what are you, what's the problem, man? Do you see why this is not in the children's stories? Right? How are they gonna, how are they gonna do the bottom of verse three? It's better for me to die than live. It's just not gonna make a good kid's story, right? And this is not to say, don't hear me say kids can't read this story and learn from this story, but it is not for children. It's not written for children. And you're just like, Jonah, I, I, I'm not following. And this is the whole point. This is what the author is told this whole story to bring us to this point. The craziest place to get ice cream in the Twin Cities is a place called Nelson's Ice Cream. How many of you have been to Nelson's? Nelson's Ice Cream. The reason it's crazy, and if you haven't been there, I, I go this afternoon, and I'm not getting paid by Nelson's to do this. But here's why it's crazy. Because when they give you a child size, it is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable amount of ice cream. My wife took my kids there a couple weeks ago. We still have the leftovers in our freezer from the child's size. And these are kids, kids who love ice cream. And they give you this huge amount. I think I have a, a picture of it, a couple slides up. This is like, this is the kid's size. This is the kid's size. Yeah, I know, I know. And I know I'll, you're, you're all going to be like, well, now I'm just going to be thinking about ice cream. But, and I, I literally do not know how they stay in business because this is the child's size and you cannot order anything larger because you will immediately fall into a diabetic coma. There's just, you cannot get, I mean, this is not even the small. This is the child's, all right? Secondly, they have tons of flavor options. And thirdly, it's super cheap. It's like $3.50 for the child's. That's super cheap. That's ton, way too much ice cream. It's just, it's unbelievable. They've been in business since 1923, so maybe the secret to being in business is just to give people to, way too much for not enough price. I don't know. They somehow do it. Maybe, maybe it's money laundering for the mafia. I don't know. There's something crazy going on at Nelson's, but it's unilaterally awesome. It's awesome. So I was like, you know, I was trying to think of like, what are places in life where we're, it's overwhelming and we get too much? And I was thinking, Nelson's, they give you too much ice cream. And I wanted to find you a picture of how much ice cream they give you. And I stumbled across this dark place on the internet called Yelp. Have you ever been there? Yelp is where people offer reviews of what they think of different places, different businesses, different organizations. Yelp. Now, you think, uh, you think like Nelson's, you're going to look at Yelp and everybody's going to be like, this place is awesome. They give you too much food and it's great and we all, you know, are now taking insulin for the rest of our lives because of Nelson's. You would think like, us is great. But I saw this one-star review on Yelp for Nelson's and I'm like, what? How could somebody have a problem? It's just awesome. It's great. Let me read you this, okay? Let me read you this and I'm going to tie it into what Jonah does here. This is Anya L. I don't know who she is, but she's wrong. My... <laughs> Is what she says. My fiance and I stopped here one day for some ice cream. First of all, the child's size is much larger than I thought it would be. It was too much, and I can't fathom the idea of throwing it away ice cream. Like, 
Okay, so your problem is that they gave you too much and you might have to throw it away. Wah, you're wrong. She said, I would rather pay more money for a smaller portion. Like, is, is, this person's a communist, clearly. There's... We, we were, listen, so too much ice, they give you too much ice cream. Oh, so sad. We were also overwhelmed by all the flavors. It was difficult to choose what to get. Oh, please. Like, I, finally, it's pricey for what you get. And I'm like, did these people time travel from the 50s when you could buy like a house for a nickel? Like, it's pricey for what you get? Like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. It hurts my brain, and I read their other reviews, and what I discovered is that wherever they say not to go is I have a list of places I'm going to go now. That's exact. They are completely wrong, and everything that they said and did. You know what? They gave five stars, and I'm just I'm not it's off topic. Perkins got five stars, and I'm like... <laughs> What? Now, I know maybe Perkins is your favorite place, you know. Maybe it's date night, you know. I don't know. But come on, five stars. Okay. This is exactly what I feel like when I read Jonah. And he's like, God, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were forgiving. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger. And you're like, Jonah, you're saying all those things as if they're bad. But they are objectively good things. These are awesome things. If, you had, if, no, no, or if Jonah had written a Yelp review for God, it would look like this. It would be Jonah. And this is, he would say something like this. Yahweh is much too gracious and compassionate for my tastes. I was expecting way more judgment or at least some fire and brimstone. Zero stars if I could. Honestly, I'd rather die. <laughs> this, this is exactly what Jonah 4 says. It's exactly what it says. That's the verse. Isn't that, isn't that unbelievable? You're reading this and you're just like, Jonah, what is wrong with you? What is wrong? Jonah, you're crazy. You're crazy. And this is how God responds to him. And this is so good because we think God is asking Jonah this question, but he's not. The author is, is asking this question for us. This is for us. He says, but the Lord replied, is it right, right, morally right? Jonah, you think what I've done in offering forgiveness is morally wrong. Is it morally right for you to be angry? And, and Jonah doesn't respond to this. He doesn't have any response uh, to what God is saying. Now, one of the th one, two quick things. Jonah, when he says, God, you're so compassionate, you're so gracious, you're so whatever, Jonah is quoting God's own description of himself out of the book of Exodus 34, verse 6. God says, this is how I am. And so Jonah knows how God is and then is upset that God is exactly how he said he would be. That's what Jonah is saying. He's mad that God is acting consistent with his own character. And God's like, are you shocked? Because this is exactly what I told you I would do. This is the exact type of thing that, you know me, this is who I am, and you're acting like it's some crazy out-of-character thing. Jonah, you really got me. So, real quick, just real quick side note before we go on to verse 5. We have this, and this is just, you know, I, not maybe, maybe not most of you think this, but it just, it seems to exist. It seems to be a pervasive um, falsehood in our society, religious society, that there's Old Testament God and New Testament God. And Old Testament God, man, he is just like... He's, uh, he's mean, he likes to pick fights, he gets mad at people at the drop of a hat, he's just, it's just ugly. And then somewhere between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, he really pulled it together. 
He really got it figured out. And New Testament God is kind and patient and loving and gracious. And, and I just want you to know that God has always presented himself consistently throughout the, uh, the, the narrative of Scripture. God has always said, I'm kind and gracious. It's us that has this weird, different, like, sort of dichotomy between the two. All right. So this is what happens. Is it right for you to be angry, right? And this is good. This is good for us. Because the author of Jonah is a genius. And, and, and we're being asked this question because, listen to this. We, we would never in a million years accept God's mercy for ourselves, right? We would never accept God's mercy for ourselves, but expect God's judgment on somebody else. We would never do that, right? Hmm. Oh, I see. Accept God's mercy for ourselves, but expect God's judgment for someone else, all right? Um, Jonah, verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He went east of the city. I imagine he sat on a hill, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And I think he's probably thinking, you know, maybe they'll just, maybe they'll lose it at the last minute, and God's going to go ahead and rain down fire and destruction. So I'm just going to wait it out. I'm going to see. Maybe God will actually bring uh, judgment after all. I think that's what Jonah is doing here. Um, I want you to know that Jonah is not, it's not simple like lose your temper anger that Jonah has with God. Jo- Jonah has moral righteous indignation. He thinks God is wrong. And I, I, wanna, I want us, if possible, to try to put ourselves in Jonah's mindset. Now, I don't think anybody in this room is upset that Nineveh repented and God relented. I don't think we're upset about that. But I want you to get some scenario of injustice in your mind, some personal scenario of injustice. Maybe, it, you know, big or small, and small maybe is better for our purposes. Maybe it's um, a car that cuts you off in traffic. You're just like, I, I had a right to that spot, and then you cut me off, and I had to hit my brakes. Injustice, injustice, right? Uh, maybe it was a person in high school who was a bully, um, and, and they, they mistreated you, and it was, it was wrong. It, it, it was unjust. It was unjust. Maybe there's a coworker where you work and they, they just, they keep taking credit for things that the team did or that somebody else did and you're just like, it's not fair. It's, and they, maybe they're getting promoted or they're getting a pay raise and it's unjust. It's not fair. It's not right. It's unjust. And I want you to have some scenario like that in your mind. Maybe it's a relative that has just said hurtful and mean things and they just act like it's no big deal and act like you should just get over it and they've never apologized and they've never tried to make it right. All right? So whatever your scenario is, I want you to have that in your mind. Maybe you don't want really bad things to happen to them, but you want sort of small bad things to happen to them. You know what I mean? Maybe that car that cut you off, you don't want them to get in a tragic accident, but you wouldn't be upset if you saw them on the side of the road with a flat tire. And you'd be driving by, and you'd look at them, and you'd be like, serves them right. Right? Maybe that bully in high school you decide, you know what, I'm going to look them up on Facebook. And you wouldn't be hurt if you pulled up their profile picture, picture and you're like, oof, they did not age well, you know? <laughs> Serves them right. Serves them right. They're not working a, a successful career. Serves them right. Shouldn't have been like that in high school. Karma, what goes around comes around, you know? Serves them right. We can get into this, like, righteous indignation sense. You know, maybe, maybe... Uh, that coworker, you know, you're on a conference call and they get called out by your boss and you're just, you know, you got mute on because you don't want anybody to hear you, but you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. Maybe that relative has someone do to them what they've done to you and you don't say anything. You don't yell. You don't shout. You're just crossing your arms. You're like, serves them right, you know, serves them right. 
Jonah is sitting on the side of a hill outside of Nineveh, hoping to see judgment so he can say, serves them right. Remember, from week one, the people of Nineveh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the Assyrian Empire had been terrible to other countries, primarily the Hebrew people. They'd been terrible to them. And Jonah wanted to see destruction. Serves him right. Is it right for you to be angry? Yes. They're the worst. They should get what they deserve. You get what you give. Some of you are not going to like what God has to say through Jonah in this book. So Jonah goes out. He sits on a place east of the city. He wants to see something bad happen. He's waiting for fire and brimstone, some fireworks. And then verse 6, something strange happens. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. I don't know what the temperature is, but you know, a little shade on a hot day and he's ready. He's got, I don't know, sipping a little lemonade, wants to see Nineveh get destroyed. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. He's very happy. And the authors or the translators are trying to get us to understand this isn't just a regular word for happy. It's extremely happy. He's overjoyed about the plant. Verse 7, but, the, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Oh, okay. Jonah was very happy. Verse 8, when the sun rose and the temperature started to rise, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. I know some of you do not handle the heat well, but this is extreme, right? Some of you are like, it's going to be 90 degrees today. We're not going to make it. But this is extreme. He wanted to die, and he said it would be better for me to die than to live. Man, no wonder this chapter is not in the kids' books. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is that right? Is that good for you to be angry? And Jonah said, it is. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Come on, dude. This is, we cannot, here's where the author is trying to help us see. Jonah's reaction is crazy and silly and extreme, but he's helping us understand that we have often had that same emotional reaction to other sorts of injustices in our lives. And, 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 and I think that we need to understand something about what he, there's, there's a cool little uh, store or uh, uh, object lesson taking place here. Jonah's saying, I love that plant. That plant was my friend. That plant kept me going through hard times and that you took that plant away, God. I'm so upset. I'm so mad. It's not fair. It's not just. Can I get, uh, I I guess, kind of serious with you for a second? Um, It seems like we're at this point in our, well, certainly our American society, but our, our world to a larger degree, where they're just weekly, there's just these horrible, horrific crimes against innocent people. You know, mass shootings, whatever, just horrible, horrible things. And you open up your news app or you hear on the radio and you're just like, your heart starts to hurt and then it starts to get numb because it happens too much. And we get, we get cold to some of these things like, oh, another shooting, whatever. It doesn't even make the news anymore. And, and so there's been a number of these things throughout, throughout recent history. And it's not just recent history. If you do a little research, it's, it's been happening for decades, for decades. But things like Sandy Hook or the shooting at the, uh, the Emanuel Methodist Church in, in Charleston. Um, but w- one of the things that you, it seems like you almost always see this happen as a result of these, these tragedies. And it's not, it's not true universally, but it's often true where the victims of those tragedies or the relatives of those victims offer some sort of statement of mercy and forgiveness as a result, as a re- response to that tragedy. And you're just like, you read those and you're just like, whoa. 
It's, it's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know how they can do that. I don't know if I could do that. It's just unbelievable. And it's, it's moving. It's touching to see that, um, that sort of reaction. I wanted to share just a quick story uh, with you about a more distant tragedy that I was reading about this week. That I just And, and a statement of forgiveness. But it was, uh, it was back in the 80s uh, in Northern Ireland during the era, era of the time called the Troubles. Some of you know what that is. And just a lot of conflict in Northern Ireland. A lot of terrorism in Northern Ireland. Um, and there was, there was one particular day, it was during what the, uh, the Irish were, celebrate as Remembrance Day, similar to our Memorial Day, and it was a parade, and, and the IRA had, had set off a bomb, and it went off, and a number of people were killed, and uh, one of the people was a, a father and his, his daughter, and they were covered in rubble, and, and the father made it, and the, the daughter did not. And I don't know if the standards were different back in the day, but the BBC was able to get right into this father's hospital room and interview him just hours, hours after this had happened. And uh, he, he said this. I, I, I wrote down his response. He goes, this is, this is hours after he lost his daughter. This is unbelievable. I miss my daughter, and we shall miss her, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring her back to life. I shall pray for those people, he is referring to the people who had done this, I shall pray for those people tonight and every night. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how a person could do that. I don't, it's hard for me to relate, even though we know that that's the sort of mercy and forgiveness God has called us to. It's hard to relate. However, some of us, in, even in this room, and certainly some of the, us in response to, this, his name was Gordon Wilson, might have a, just a, there's a part of our hearts, a part of our minds that has a slightly different response. And it might be something like this. Uh, the president of Ireland who wrote later about uh, Gordon Wilson and his statement of forgiveness because it just shocked the nation. She wrote the, this word in, a, in an autobiography talking about the incident. She wrote, but he had his detractors. This is Gordon Wilson, his statement of forgiveness. But he had his detractors. And unbelievably, the father who had lost his daughter received bags of hate mail. How dare you forgive, they shouted. What kind of father are you that can forgive your daughter's killers? She goes on to write, One church-going critic said to me, Surely the poor man must have been in shock, as if to offer love and forgiveness is a sign of mental weakness instead of spiritual strength. And, and I, I do wonder if part of us if we get a little upset if we see someone else being shown mercy and forgiveness because we say they don't deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve God's goodness. They don't deserve mercy. And isn't that exactly what Jonah was doing sitting on the side of the hill hoping that God would rain down justice on Nineveh? Because they don't, they don't deserve. They've done, the things they've done are too bad. I think if we're brutally honest... Deep down in our hearts, sometimes we can relate to that struggle of being mad when people are shown grace and mercy and forgiveness. They don't deserve it. God, why, why are you letting them off the hook? I, I, I don't want you to hear me say that we should ever put up with injustice. Because some of you are going to hear that. That's how the, what my words are going to resound in your ears. Don't hear me say that. Some of you are going to hear me say that we should put up with dangerous and abusive situations. Don't, don't hear me say that. Because that's not showing mercy. That's not what that is. But too often we say or we think things like, well, I'm not sure they're repentant enough. I'm not sure they're sorry enough. 
I'm not sure that they're showing enough remorse. And I will be the final judge of whether or not they deserve God's mercy. It's, it's a dangerous situation to put ourselves in. And listen, we will always be miserable people if we feel like we should be the final judge of who receives God's mercy and love because we are never going to agree with God. We're never going to agree with it. And if you release that burden, you can experience joy and you can be happy for other people because they've experienced God's love and forgiveness. Let me, let me say this just so it's very clear. We can never be comfortable with injustice, but we should never be uncomfortable with mercy. Amen. We can never be comfortable with injustice, but we should never be uncomfortable with God showing mercy. Verse 10 in chapter 4 as we wrap up. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it. You did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And verse 11, this is the last verse in this book. It feels so abrupt, but I want you to see how, how the author ends this book. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and, and also many animals? <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And, and the reason I think the author ends on a question like that is because the, the author's not really asking that question of Jonah. He's asking that question of us. Are we right to be angry when someone else expresses repentance, shows remorse, and is given forgiveness? Should, should we be angry? Should we carry that on ourselves? Should, should we be the owners of that? Mm. Jonah, what, what God is saying to Jonah is, you know how you felt about that plant? You know how it made you very happy? And even though you didn't do anything, well, that's how I feel about people. That's, how, that's what I want. I want to cultivate and love and grow people. The way you felt about that plant, that's how I feel about people. And, and the, the end of this, the, the people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, they're just saying they're, they're morally misguided is what they're saying. Not that they're not culpable for their sins, but they're morally misguided. And it's, to me, that rings so familiar to what Jesus said on the cross in, in, in Luke 23. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Did they know what they were doing? Yeah, they knew what they were doing. But did they understand the level of guilt that they were, they were bringing on themselves? No. And, and, and Jesus could express that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness even from the cross. Real quick, real quick. A couple things and we'll wrap up. First of all, our judgments on others when we try to own the responsibility for, for, for enacting grace or limiting grace and mercy in someone's life or, or judgment, our judgments, they will always be wrong because we will always lack the full story. We will always lack the full story. We don't know a person's history, a background. We don't know the situation. We don't know what's going on. We will always lack the full story. Can you kind of come, you can know people and, and understand them, but you can't fully know and understand. So we have to trust God to allow that grace and forgiveness in someone else's life, even if we don't feel like they deserve it, because we will never have the full story. Secondly, our judgment on others almost always fails to account for the mercy God has shown us in our lives. When we're being critical and judgmental and angry and frustrated and upset, we are forgetting where God has forgiven us of those exact same things. It's the same, it's the same problem. And what God is asking us to do is like take that mercy you've been shown, show it to someone else. So as we wrap up, the, who, who, who do you believe doesn't deserve God's mercy? Who do you think doesn't deserve God's mercy? Well, everybody does. Well, now dig, dig deep. Who in your life are, are you upset that, that would, they would be shown forgiveness and mercy? 
Maybe it's IRA terrorists in, in the 80s in Northern Ireland. Maybe it's Republicans. Maybe it's Democrats. It's conservatives. It's liberals. They don't deserve mercy. They're idiots. Hate them all. Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe it's immigrants. Maybe it's that one coworker or that one relative. Is it right for you to be angry? Well, they did wrong. Yes, I know they did things that were wrong. But is it right for us to judge their true remorse and repentance? No. We will always be better off when we trust God's judgment of mercy over our own. We'll always be better off. Always. Even if you don't think that they deserve it, you will be better off trusting God's judgment of mercy uh, over our own. So as we wrap up, Jonah, I, I, we thought it was a kid's story, didn't we? We thought it was a story about a big fish. We thought it was just a, you know, a nice little tale that we tell our kids down in the disciple kids' wing. Uh, no, Jonah's got some important lessons for us about how we mediate God's righteousness and God's justice and God's mercy through our own lives. Do, do we let people off the hook and do we allow ourselves and others into abusive situations? No, no, don't hear me say that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But do we harbor judgment and bitterness because we don't feel like someone deserves forgiveness? Maybe that's a battle that we do fight. Let's wrap up with a, uh, with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you, first of all, for your mercy. And I just pray that you would always allow that uh, to be forefront in our minds as we interact with others. God, I can't even begin to imagine what people in this room have dealt with and the hurts and the baggage and the struggles that they have. And I, I just can't even imagine. But God, I pray that you would help them find some sort of uh, peace and ability to forgive. Lord, we know that you want us to be protected and safe and you want justice to happen. But I pray that as much as we love that, we would also love your mercy, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You're dismissed.